Welcome to the second episode of the week on the official Sasta podcast brought to you by me, Harry Stebbings, on Snapchat at hstebbings with two Bs and now blogging, oh yes, on the very appropriately named mojitovc.com and the one and only Jason Lemkin, where you can find him not on Snapchat yet, let's try and persuade him, but you can find him on Twitter at JasonLK or you can find him at Sasta Annual 2017 in February, where he and I will be having a little party. Uh, he's very kindly allowed me to take the naming rights on this one, so for anyone who uses the promo code DRINKSWITHHARRY when you buy your Sasta annual tickets you'll get a whopping 20% off your ticket price and even better we'll invite you to our happy hour of free mojitos courtesy of the kind bank of mr jason lemkin i'd love to see you there but for the show today and i'm delighted to welcome seth besmertnik to the hot seat now seth is the co-founder and ceo at conductor the company that boasts the biggest customer list in their category including more than 500 fortune and internet retailer 500 brands like under armor city and fedex with their web presence management and seo with this incredible success, the company has been ranked 13th fastest growing software company in the US and the third best place to work in New York City. They've also raised over 60 million in VC funding from some of the best investors on the East Coast in the form of Matrix Partners and First Mark Capital, just to name a few. I'd also like to say a huge thanks to Fires at Bluecore for the intro to Seth today. Little side note also, there is some slight tapping in the background for this episode. This is no other reason than Seth got so passionate about marketing that he had to get out his frustrations and bang the table at points, which is always brilliant to see in an interview. But enough from me, so without further ado, I'm delighted to welcome Seth Besmutnik, founder and CEO at Conductor. Good, that's perfect. Okay, I think we're warmed up. Well, Seth, thank you so much for giving up the time today to be on the show. It's absolutely fantastic to have you here. Huge thanks to Fires at Blue Core, but thank you so much for joining me today, Seth. I'm extremely excited to participate. Thanks for having me. Now, I'd love to kick off today with a two to three minute founding story of Conductor and how the business really got off the ground. Absolutely. Conductor has an incredibly unique and uh, interesting story. Um, I actually started the company almost a decade ago, and we started the company as a services business. And what we did originally was we went to large companies and we realized that when you did a search in Google for Microsoft Exchange Server, that Microsoft didn't actually show up in the search engines. And we actually built a a business very early on on helping Fortune 500 companies really just show up for their brand and their most important keywords in search engine. And we built that business up to about a $25 million business over the course of about three or four years. And over that time, we started to see that brands were actually starting to build out digital digital marketing departments and that online marketing, you know, quote unquote, was becoming something that was important. And that when it came to technology, they had a lot of insight about what happened when someone actually got to your website. So if one of you, a visitor comes to your website, they click around, they go to different pages. They had a lot of technology to help you understand that, you know, products like at that time, Omniture and you know Google Analytics and Web Trends and Core Metrics. But when it came to a business understanding when someone was not on your website and they were, you know, out in the ether of the web, whether they're searching on YouTube or searching on a search engine or whether they're just, they're not on your website. Do you know anything about what they're experiencing? Are they seeing your content? Are they seeing your competitors' content? What's happening? And I and we realized that uh, that there was a real opportunity to build technology and a, and a SaaS application to help companies understand what people were doing before they actually found you. At that point in time, we raised $10 million from Firstmark Capital and Matrix, and we uh, started building a software business. And when we launched a software business, we realized if we really wanted to be a great software company, which is not an easy thing to do, we needed to focus all of our time on it. So we actually divested the entire services business and went from being a 
$25 million revenue business to really a no revenue business overnight, but with a tremendous promise to build a successful SaaS company, which, you know, pleased to share, you know, several years later, you know, we are, um, you know, we've, we've accomplished at least part of that vision. And, and going from a very successful to a, to a no revenue, as you said there, what was the pricing structure in the early days then when making the transition from a services to a software model? Well, the services business was based on what we delivered, very standard. And then when we rolled out our, when we launched a software platform called Conductor Searchlight in June of 2010, it was priced based on how many marketing software companies price, which is based on usage and really how much are we doing for you? You know, how much, how much are we excited you're manage, are we managing? How many pages are we managing? You know, it's not based on users like other software companies because marketing departments are pretty small. And I, w- I want to st- I'm really pleased you mentioned obviously there about kind of sites and, and kind of onboarding process for new customers because I want to start today with an aspect that not, we actually don't discuss that much on SASTA and that's marketing for SaaS companies. Um, first, an interesting one for me is I get a lot of B2B founders saying, you know, Harry, you don't understand we're a B2B company marketing doesn't matter. What's your response to that? And, and how should I be responding to that? It's kind of crazy to say that your marketing doesn't matter as a software company, because the guys at the uh, the former, the Omniture leadership team, uh, Josh James and Chris Harrington, they, they always say the word SaaS stands for sales absolves all sins. And if you want to have sales, you got to have companies to sell to, which means you got to have a brand and you got to have marketing and you got to have leads and you got to have people for your salespeople to talk to. So if you're a software company, and you're looking to grow quickly, the best way to do that is to feed your sales team with highly qualified leads. If you look at any great software company that's scaled up in the last you know, half a decade, they're all phenomenal at marketing. Whether it's someone like Jira who's figured out how to do you know, user and viral marketing, or whether it's you know, guys like Salesforce who are the best marketing company on the planet. I mean, marketing is what drives a software company. And you've said before, though, about the importance of building a weapon in your marketing. I'm really intrigued as to, to what you mean by this and how you approach that as a topic then. Your, your marketing can very much be a weapon and it can be a core competency and can be a differentiator. And there's a lot of categories in SaaS where, you know, the products are either similar or they're not clear enough from a user's perspective to discern the difference. And what ends up discerning the difference is the marketing. And that's whether one, are people finding you? Do they know that you exist? I mean, there's a lot of great software companies that are dead on the side of the road because no one ever found their business, no one found their product, and they weren't good at sales and marketing. So having a great product is, is the start, but it's not how you get across the finish line. Really, I mean, you, you need to build that engine you need to build awareness and ultimately you need to build a brand and that's the only way you can scale over time. In terms of kind of budgets and budget sizes, how does your kind of marketing efforts vary if you have very differing budget sizes from your kind of large series A rounds to your small uh, man in the dog firm with 10 grand in his marketing budget? How does that vary the kind of weaponization of marketing? It varies a lot. However, the internet is very democratizing. For example, if you're a business and you focus on solving a particular problem and you want to get your business found for when someone, let's just say, goes on Google and searches for that problem. The company that shows up for that, like with the best piece of content, has nothing to do with how much money they have in their marketing department or how big their business is. It really has to do with who has the best piece of content. So as a small business there, you know, you're not going to go and overpower your competition by, you know, sponsoring Dreamforce or buying expensive display ads on LinkedIn. But there's very clever and smart ways that you can be efficient to, to really focus on your users and focus on the people 
people that you want to sell to and reach them in the way you want to do that. And I think the key thing there is focus. If you're small, you have to be super focused on what types of profiles, what types of personas you're going after, what types of users, what kind of problems are you really want to focus on and be definitively the best at something. In terms of content marketing that you said it's all about content in terms of kind of search engine indexing. How do you approach content strategy? Uh, you know, we see many different variations today. What, what are your thoughts on kind of optimizing content for today's world? Yeah, great question. The main thing as it relates to a content marketing strategy is that everything should start with who your customers are and what their problems are. So if you're uh, if you're running a marketing team for a software company, you know, you should have very clear understanding of who are the personas and the profiles of the people that you want to go after. You know, in our case, we go after VPs of digital marketing, we go after CMOs, we go after content marketers, we get we go after SEO managers. And what we have is we have very clear profiles of these people, and then we have their buyer journey which is the process that they go through from, hey, I have a problem, you know, like, why isn't my site getting any traffic all the way to like, hey, I need really good content intelligence software. Let me look for a conductor. You have to have your profiles and then you have to have that buyer journey mapped out with each of the different types of problems they have across of it. So, you know, CMOs, when they're early stage, they're looking for things like this. Now, once you have that map, you can then use that as the guidepost for how you build content. You can say, I want to build content that's focused on this person in this type of problem at this stage of the buyer journey. Now, when you have that kind of focus, it's going to force you to build really good content. Because if you think about it, if I'm writing content for a CMO of a Fortune 500 company, it's going to be very different than building it for a entry-level content marketer at a, at a mid-market company. But if you don't build great content, then your content won't get found or enjoyed by anyone, and you're really just wasting your time. I mean, the days of building mediocre, you know, just get it out the door, factory milled content are, are really coming to an end because everybody's building content. In terms of the, the, the marketing itself, though, and the site can be seen as another form obviously of marketing and we, we recently had Megan Eisenberg at MongoDB on the show and she said the largest lift you're going to see is the site there's more people online than at, event, uh, than at events and forms are the m- most important asset on your website as they get people into the funnel talk to me about this and how you think the site is the be all and end all do you think it is the be all and end all and how do you think they can be optimized yeah I mean I know Megan she's a really smart woman I, I completely agree with her in that the audience that's available on the web is vast and it is exponentially larger than any particular event or anything that you can go do. And if you can have presence on the web, that is just going to dominate. And I think that modern buyers are busier and they're spending more time doing their own education. They're spending less time going to events and they're spending less time talking to your salespeople. So in that sense, your site is is absolutely the most important thing. Where I think that I have a, you know, a nuanced, uh, maybe disagreement with her if, I, if I'm understanding her correctly, is that your site is your site, but if no one can find your site, then ultimately your site's not that useful. If you're a software company, your customers are not waking up in the morning and saying, hey, let me go check out, you know, XYZ software company. I mean, I know our our prospects are not waking up and saying, hey, you know what? I really want to do more marketing. Let me go to Conductor. I mean, that that's just not the way that buyers think. They, they're going and they're doing things like they're reading influencer bogs, they're searching on search engines, you know, they're, they're educating themselves. So you have to figure out how to structure your website and structure your content so it feeds into the world of the buyer, which is in places like YouTube and is, is in places like Google and folks like that. So in that sense, if you're if you're using your site well to get found beyond your site, then I think the site is is absolutely your number one most important asset in, in marketing. And kind of talk to me about other varying platforms that we see nowadays. You know, Snapchat now is a big marketing platform for some. In terms of kind of search engine optimization, uh, although they are not adding to search engine optimization, are they still equally as efficient, do you think? I don't know. I mean, I think Snapchat 
Snapchat isn't doing a phenomenal job of like, getting a huge amount of audience. You certainly can get a, a, a demographic on there that, that you can't get on other channels. You know, I have yet to see a B2B company do something really interesting on Snapchat, uh, other than like when you have events and when you're, you're doing things that have like a physical presence, you know, you use Snapchat, you create icons. But I think it's really interesting to work on. And I and I do think that um, brands should have their own Snapchat profiles and B2B companies should be connecting with their audiences on Snapchat and be there because it's where your people are and it's a chance to be different. It's a chance to be unique and it's a chance to um, to really, uh, you know, impress your customers uh, that you're, you know, you're not an old company, but you're very modern and you're thinking about the things that they're thinking about. In, in terms of going back to the site uh, and, and what Megan said, she obviously said, obviously, about the importance of forms on the site. In terms of uh, optimizing forms, how, how do you look to optimize forms and how important a role do you think they play with regards to the success of one site? Forms are interesting. I mean, forms are ultimately the way that you take somebody and you capture their information. You know, there's a lot of data that shows that how, how you set up your forms can varyingly change how you do con- how your conversion rates change. And obviously, if you're able to get 2% of the people to fill out a form versus 1%, that means you're getting twice as much value from your traffic for the most part. So I, I think that forms are, you know, you should think about your the content types. The more unique and in demand the content is, potentially the more fields you can have in a form, all the way to if you have like some some really kind of top of the funnel content that's interesting, but not like extremely unique, like very rare research, you might want to just give it away, right? Just don't have it formed. And you can try to retarget people or you can try to um, pop something up on their screen to capture their information with an offer. But as you get to more proprietary content or you start to get into things like demo requests and content forms, I think you want to get information. My personal preference and the way that we try to do things at Conductor is we capture some very basic information, name and email. We have a team that will process that information right after we get it and go get things like phone numbers and all the other information because you really want to make it as easy as possible to get information because then your conversion rate will be substanti- substantially higher. And in terms of kind of conversion rates from content, as we spoke about earlier, uh, we also spoke about customer profiles. How do you specific do you think customer profiles need to be then? And also, how many do you think you can have? I often speak to SaaS founders who say, I've got kind of five or six. Do you think it needs to be a very defined, honed process? Or do you think you can have this wide variant of customer profile? I mean, if you have too many of them, then they just don't become real. Because as a small company, as a small company, I mean, you can only, if you're a 30 to 50 person SaaS company, and you've got one person creating content, I mean, there's only so many profiles of people you can you can create content for. So I would say that five personas or audience types would be a lot for even a company with a few hundred employees. Um, and, I, and I'd rather have less, less audiences, but more focused than have lots of them, but have it just be hard to sustain. And, you know, not your, your employees can't even remember all the different profiles because there's just so many of them. In terms of also content generation, do you basically segment elements of the team for content generation and content marketing? Or do you like to have sales members do content? Do you like to have customer service do content? Is it kind of a, a holistic approach to content for you? Or do you think it's much better to have content marketers doing content? The approach that I subscribe to is that you have someone who oversees the editorial of your content that likely sits on your marketing team. And then they they act as like the the shepherd to getting the right content done. And that could be done through, it could be done through third-party experts and consultants. It could be done through some partners. And it also could be done by internal programs to drive content. So we have programs here at Conductor where we offer incentives and contests to non-marketing employees, folks on our customer success team, folks on our sales team, folks on our engineering team. And 
And we do, we use that to help drive content because sometimes their perspective is very unique and can be valuable. Um, obviously, it's hard because everybody's very busy as it is, in, you know, and everyone's got their own job to do. But it's definitely part of the doing it successfully is fielding and, and sourcing content from multiple different sources. And I'd love to dive into a quick fire with you now called 60 Seconds Faster. So I say a short statement and you give me your immediate thoughts. Sound good? Yeah. So 10 years in, what do you know now that you wish you'd known at the beginning of the conductor journey? Great question. Three things would be, well, when you when it comes to people, when you know, you know. So when you know there's a problem, you got to really, you got to know there's a problem, you got to act on it. You know, that feeling that you have is, is, is usually right. You know, my, the biggest mistakes that I've made a conductor have to do from having the wrong staff, uh, whether someone is just was a bad hire or turned or just came the wrong person uh, over time or not a good fit and just not acting on it fast enough. That's probably number one. Number two would be customer value is king of kings. Uh, I think as a software company, there are a lot of ways to grow the business and you can brute force your way to selling a lot, to renewing and, and really like growing your revenue. But if you're not delivering incredible value with everything you do over time, it's going to slow down and you're going to have problems. So don't ever take your eye off customer value and don't confuse yourself with sales success and revenue success with that being customer value success. They're two different things. Do you think SaaS companies consistently undervalue themselves? We often get told price higher, price higher. Do you agree with that thesis? I think it's easy for a SaaS company to confuse revenue with customer satisfaction. And you guys wrote a great post about why some companies flatten out at $20 million in revenue. And you found that the number one thing was your NPS, which is your you know your net promoter score with your customer. Mm-hmm. And I think that that I think that's one of the best posts I've read on the Saster blog and that just being obsessed about customer value and NPS and let that be the barometer for upselling, for pricing, for everything that you're doing. And my third thing, just in what, what I wish I've known is, is just trust your gut. You know, a lot of us uh, like myself are first time founders. You're doing this for the first time. You're thinking, you know, you think every people, other people are everyone's smarter than you and you don't really know that much. And I think that you have to trust your gut. You have to trust your instincts and realize that there's something inside of you that's powerful and having the confidence to know, to believe in yourself and trust yourself. I think that's, that's one of the most powerful lessons I've learned. Biggest advice on content creation for, for B2B SaaS companies? Start with your customer. Don't talk about your product as the first thing. Don't talk about something about yourself, but start with your customer, start with their needs, start with the problems you're solving, and then work backwards. Favorite SaaS reading material for you? I think some of the most influential re- reading material for me was I subscribed to a lot of the leadership paradigms from a book called Good to Great. Not really a SaaS book, but it's a great leadership. It's just great leadership and about being a, you know, really a, a business first leader. There's a book called uh, 37 Signals, wrote a book called uh, Getting Real, which is uh, has a lot of interesting ideas around design philosophy. I think it's particularly good when you're in the beginning stages of building a software company. Um, and then I'd say uh, Mark Benioff's Behind the Cloud. I mean, that's a great book. There's a lot of good ideas in there. It's pretty it's pretty simplified. And you know, there's a lot of stuff in there like, hey, like get some prospects, get some customers, go out for a dinner with 20 people, like do that all the time. That is a great way to get customers. I mean, there's, there's some really good ideas in there. Being a CEO versus being a founder. This is one of the hardest that I've really had to, had to just grow myself. As the founder, you need to create vision and just saturate people with it. I always, I use the metaphor uh, or the analogy that if you're a parent, you know, you, you tell your kids you love you. There's no limit to how many times you tell your kids that you love them. And I think as a founder, your people need to hear the vision just like your kids need to hear that they love you. So I think you have to have the vision, you have to have the energy, and you have to bring that to the organization. As the CEO, it's a different role than the founder, and you could play them both, obviously. Um, 
Um, but it's about having clear goals. What are you trying to accomplish in what time frame, right? Your, your leadership team has much higher level goals than, than your kind of ground level staff. Um, holding people accountable to it. Are you hitting the goals? What If you're not, what are you doing about it? How are you fixing it? Um, and then the last thing as CEO is you got to have the right, you know, make sure that you have the right people around the room, make the right people there. If, you, if you're, if you are not sure if you don't, if you have the right people, then you likely don't have the right people because when you have the right people, you get that feeling like I got people in the room who know what they're doing. And it's your job as a CEO to make sure that you got the right people in the room. Sorry, Seth, can I just ask quickly, there, there's a kind of reverberating thud, thudding noise. I didn't know if you were hitting your hand on the table or... Was... I am hitting my hand on the table. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking like, what the fuck is that? Uh, so, sorry, Seth, Seth, Seth's about to take off. I'm very passionate about uh, a lot of the stuff around making mistakes and what the, and, and being a CEO and being a founder. Well, that's great because we're now not in, no more banging. Um, but we're not, we're not in the quick fire anymore. But I got I do, my hands in my pocket. Good, good stuff. Um, but I do want to talk about the being a CEO and being a founder there because obviously a fund, fundamental aspect is, as you said, the team building uh, and the leadership element. So on those two points, I'm really intrigued how you structure your team building process at Conductor. What the mistakes and the learning curves have been for you? Sure. I think about team building very philosophically. It starts with having a clear vision and making sure people align with that vision. And then it's having clear values and clear a clear approach to doing business. When I hire a new executive, we just had a, a CMO start two weeks ago. And on her first day, I sit down with her and I go through what we call our credo, which is how we approach the business, how and, and how we approach making decisions at Conductor. So it's very much around I, I, thinking about having clear values, clear vision, constantly communicating it and keeping every, and making sure that your team has a common goal, right? Great teams have to have a common mission and all be bought into it. I think that's the fundamentals of, of, of how we how we drive alignment across the entire organization, not just with our executive team. As it relates to what mistakes I've made and what have been some of the learning curves, I think certainly keeping the wrong people too long, this is a pretty classic problem, but it's something definitely that where I've made mistakes where you have the wrong people in the job. It's, it's frustrating for someone to work with someone else who's really not qualified or not the right fit to the role. Not providing enough direction. As a as a first-time CEO, you hire senior staff and you are, you know, you're impressed with their backgrounds and their resumes and you often think that they don't need as much direction or focus or management. And I think that is a mistake. Not giving people clear goals, clear focus, clear objectives, and just expecting kind of inertia or or osmosis to lead the way. So so I, I've definitely grown in that and, and, and really taken that as no matter who, who I hire and how much experience they have, they need focus, they need attention, they need management. And, uh, and that's just not going to happen. Well, Seth, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show today. Uh, I've hugely enjoyed chatting to you, especially with the, the evident passion of the banging on the table. Um, but, I really, <laughs> but I really appreciate you taking the time out today, Seth. Yeah, my pleasure. This was fantastic. I hope this was helpful. Thanks, Harry. My word, what fantastic fun it was to have Seth on the show today. And again, a huge thanks to Fires at Blue Call for the intro today. I so appreciate that. And if you'd like to come to Sasta Annual 2017, then do not forget to enter the promo code DRINKSWITHHARRY when you purchase your tickets. And you'll be invited to the free happy hour of mojitos from me and Jason. Uh, thanks to the kind bank of Mr. Jason Lemkin. Also included with Drinks With Harry, you get 20% off the ticket price. I'm not sure which is more tempting, the mojitos or the ticket price. I know which one for me. But as always, we so appreciate all your support. You can always email me on harry at the 20 minute vc.com or you can follow me on snapchat on h stebbings or you can read the blog mojitovc.com likewise you can follow jason lemkin on twitter at jason lk and we look very forward to bringing you next week's episodes